right, so uh, I'm very sad because when I come to the end of series, uh, it's just like, like it's over, you know? So now I have to find another series or something to study. But Jonah uh, has been the series, the prodigal prophet, and something that we've been going through. This is the fifth week uh, that I have taken the time to dive into this book of Jonah. And so we wrap it up today. Uh, and for me, it's been absolutely fascinating to find and see a character that we are so uh, desensitized to because of the VeggieTale syndrome or the VeggieTales effect, right? Uh, that now we come to a point where we see the book of Jonah in different lens. And maybe if this is your first week here, you're just like, what is this pastor talking about? Uh, it's on the podcast if you're curious. So anyways, uh, we come to a close with our series today. And hopefully, uh, by the end of today, there will be something that you guys can take away from it uh, so you can steer clear uh, and uh, away from the vegetation that the VeggieTales effect has caused for us, okay? So, uh, throughout the series, uh, I will quickly recap with you guys. The Prodigal Prophet, uh, we've explored so many different facets of this character, Jonah, right? Who's filled with irony, who's filled with contradiction. And we discovered that the book of Jonah can be separated into two parts, right? The first two chapters and the second two chapters. And there's this unique connection to the parable in Luke 15, right? Of the prodigal son. Um, and then we discovered uh, during the second week that there was a danger of falling asleep at the wheel or this ideal of perpetual motion, right? Getting caught up in this thing what we call uh, spiritual apathy, right? And we discovered with the play of words that the book of Jonah uses that Jonah is going down from Joppa, right? He's going down into a boat. He's going down into a deep, deep sleep. And we see this Jonah, this character of Jonah, slowly drifting away uh, from his original person purpose and calling that God had given to him from the very start, right? So we find that his spiritual apathy is not only a wrecking ball to the people around him, uh, but to his own life, right? Then we discovered uh, the third week about God's mercy, and we looked at a little bit of what God's mercy was all about, and so we dived into the belly of the fish, and we kind of examined this one tiny verse uh, about this large fish to find the meanings. And then we found Jonah, right, as he's in the belly of this fish, encountering the very grace and mercy that he needs to take to the Ninevites, right, for himself. Okay? And then uh, two weeks ago, we wrapped it up talking about uh, the Hebrew word uh, shuv. Do you guys remember what that, that means? Shuv. So literally, yeah, to turn around, okay? It's to turn around from one's path and go back the other direction, right? And we talked about this idea of God's judgment, right? And the struggle that we may have in trying to understand, can we have a God of love, yet have a God of judgment? Do we have two different gods, or do we have the same kind of God? And we concluded uh, that they're not opposites, but rather God's judgment is an expression of God's love, Right? Because the whole intention of God rendering a judgment is to bring people back into this beautiful thing called grace, which ultimately leads back into the love of God. Okay? Um, And so we looked at that, uh, and we looked also at his very short five Hebrew word sermon uh, that he thought was going to be uh, a sermon of destruction, but it became a sermon of 
uh, repentance, right? And so now we find ourselves here in Jonah chapter 4, the very last chapter and the last section of this book. Now, to be completely honest with you, I know the title says God loves your enemies, but there's so many different things that we can pull out from this last uh, chapter. So I had a really hard time kind of centralizing the message. And so there's going to be a lot of like little things that I'll pull out for today. Uh, and if you want to know more, then maybe we can just have Bible study together later. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. Without further ado, let's just jump into the chapter okay Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 and it says but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry so he prayed to the Lord isn't this what I said Lord when I was still at home that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity now Lord Take my life away, for it is better for me to die than live. Pause. Okay, so first of all, okay, when you have to look at this story, and when you look at Jonah, okay, you got to think, like, is this guy serious right now? Okay, we left off with Jonah going, preaching this message, and then the whole city, this evil city of Nineveh, turns from their ways, they shove, and they come back into God's love, right? And so because of that, God does not send down his judgment, right? Or his, his, his uh, destruction that he had threatened, right? And then we find Jonah here just angry at that, right? He just preached the most successful sermon, right? The most successful five-word sermon, and he's angry at God for that. Like, can you believe that? Like, seriously, Jonah, right? Uh, it's kind of weird, and it's honestly not very logical, right? I think anyone looking at this story, uh, believer or not, you would run into this and be like, wait, what? Like, how does this work? Okay, but this here, at the beginning of chapter 4, we find the scandal of grace here, okay? And something that I think a lot of us are actually not very comfortable with. Um, so, what we find Jonah running into, this wall that he runs into, He's uncomfortable with how broad and how great God's love and mercy and grace is actually, right? And he's totally not happy with it. In chapter 2, we find him in the belly of the whale, right? Or the fish, right? And he's praying to God, and he acknowledges his mistakes. And then he becomes the recipient of the mercy and grace that he's supposed to take to Nineveh, right? But then when he sees that same mercy and grace being extended, to the people that he despises, his enemies. Remember, we talked about the Ninevites, right? The Syrian Empire, how evil they were and how their treacherous kind of uh, tortures and punishments that they would do, putting people on sticks and putting them up on the hills, taking their skins and putting them on the walls, right? So Jonah's enemies become recipients of this mercy and grace. And for Jonah, he's uncomfortable with that, even though that's the same mercy and grace that God extends to him when he's in the belly of the fish, right? Now, that's not very different for us either. I think we can find ourselves in the very similar situation, right? We realize how broken, we realize how messed up we are, and we realize how needy we are of God's grace. And we're like, yeah, cool. Like, God, like, thank you for this grace. Like, thank you for giving me this grace. You know, you love us. Like, I love that, right? But then when it comes to the very people that we despise, or the people that we hate, or the people that we look down upon, we're just like, ah, oh, like, God, I don't know, like, is that, is that fair? Like, should you be really doing this for these people, right? And that's the exact scandal of grace that Jonah is running into. Let me tell you the story. 2001, who was born in 2001? I saw you try raising your hands, okay? So 2001, I was nine years old, okay? Uh, 
It was the winter, who said what? <laughs> okay, winter of 2009. Uh, actually, I was turning that, so I was eight, okay? So any of you eight-year-olds, I can relate, okay? So when I was eight years old, winter 2009, uh, if you didn't know, my parents own a small uh, hospitality business. So they have this little small motel in type thing. Uh, and during that time, uh, my family, so it was my older sister, my young, two younger sisters, Actually, like three younger sisters, I think. I don't know how many. Anyways, we were all living together actually at the, the motel. And the, the room that we lived in was kind of like this apartment that was above the office. And I remember it was begin early January, uh, and our motel was being robbed, right? And so we had, there was this, some gang kind of thing going on in Alaska, and people were coming in and robbing hotels, like motels, like all over Anchorage. And so I remember, you know, my dad was like, you know, we were telling our like, night shift worker, hey, you know, you need to, you know, you're an ex-officer, like, you know what to do, right? Like, you know, don't give, like, if they ask for money, give them money, like, you know, don't, don't make a hassle, but we need to, like, we need to report this, right? Uh, and so he, you know, he kept saying, like, yeah, you know, I got this, like, don't worry. But he robbed the same people or same gang affiliation robbed us three times, right? Back-to-back -back nights. And my dad was like, you know what, that's it, like, if you're not going to stop them, I'm going to stop them. So it was now February, and I remember my father uh, going to work one evening, and he said, you know, he's like, you know, typical, like, good night, like, you know, we'll, I'll see you in the morning, I'm going to go work. And so he's working the graveyard shift, right? So this is like midnight to like 8 in the morning. And, you know, we don't get a lot of people during that time. And people usually don't check in at that hour. But... Uh, there was something a little different that, that early morning where my father, uh, someone you know, had called and they were looking for a room, so my dad opened it up and they came in and he checked them in and he was filling out paperwork and figuring all that stuff out when all of a sudden, uh, one of the robbers from the gang affiliation came in, right, out of nowhere. And my dad was shocked, right? The guy comes in, he has a ski mask on his face, he's carrying a gun, he comes up to my dad, points it to his head, and he says, give me all the money now. And my dad, he said, all right, I'll give you the money. But what he had been doing is uh, every evening he had been taking a lot of the money out of the till and hiding it somewhere else. And so when he gave the till to the, work, uh, the person, that we wouldn't be robbed as much, right? Because, uh, you know, three in a row, that's a lot of money. So anyways, uh, my dad gives him the till and there's like $70, $80. And the guy looks at it and he like fumbles with his mask and he's like, give me all the money, like I don't want this, give me more, right? So he keeps pointing the gun at my dad's head and my dad thought he was going to die, right? He said, I thought this was it. I thought I'd never see my family again. I thought I was gonna die here at the place that I work, like this is it. Uh, my father uh, is a concealed weapon licensed person so he carries a gun with them and he had a gun in his pocket at that time and so, without thought, uh, as the guy was playing with his mask, he pulls his gun and shoots him five times, okay? And so, he gets hit five times, he's on the ground, and my dad is freaking out. So he's trying to call, and he's like trying to call 911, but it's like not going through, and so he's like scared. And the guy on the ground now, he's, he's wounded, and he's like, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you. And my dad is freaking out even more, and he has no idea what to do. He calls 911, eventually they come and they arrest him, and they find out it was a 19-year-old boy, a part of a gang affiliation that was going around Anchorage, uh, robbing motels and hotels and whatnot. Now, I remember because uh, I was literally in the room upstairs above the office, and it was like two in the morning when we heard the sounds of gunshots. And I remember, the only thing I remember when I was eight years old 
As my mom grabbed us all together and said, we, we need to hide, right? Uh, we don't know what it is, but we need to hide. So I remember just hiding there and, you know, like eight-year-old Tim is like crying and like, oh, where's my dad? I need my dad, right? Like this is a scary moment, right? I know some of you guys are laughing because like, Pastor Tim crying? I, I cry a lot, okay? So I was crying because I thought, I don't have a dad now. Like I don't know what's going to happen. So long story short, the 19-year-old survived. Uh, he went to the hospital. He got the surgery. He went to jail and everything. And from that day on, uh, that was a turning point in my childhood where my father was, you know, he was very traumatized and he had a very hard time socializing with people. But then he started to do something very interesting. And a lot of people in our community, a lot of people at our church looked down upon him for doing this. But after he, uh, you know, after a few weeks, after the guy, you know, recovered and now he's sitting in prison, my father went to go visit him in jail. And I remember when my father told me, Tim, I'm going to go visit the guy that shot me in jail. Or he tried to rob me and shoot me in jail. And I said, what? Like, dad, why are you doing that, right? And I remember the community. I remember the church saying, you are absolutely insane. Why would you go there? My dad goes there. He forgives him. And then gives him a job, says, you can come stay at our place if you need a place to stay. And I was absolutely like, no, dad. Like, what in the world are you doing? This guy almost killed you. You are going out there. You're going to visit him to take care of him, bring him food, offer him the place to stay and to work. Like, are you insane, right? My mom didn't like it. I didn't like it. People in our church didn't like it. They're like, this guy almost killed you. Yet... Why are you doing this? This is the scandal of grace, right? So the people that we despise, the people that we hate, God is extending this thing called mercy and grace. And when it's not us receiving that, there's a tendency for us to be like, wait, really? Like, what good did they do, right? But this is exactly what Jonah is running into as well. A little side note, verse 2, we see... Jonah responding to the Lord very interestingly, right? He says, is this what I said, God? Like, I was at home, and this is what I said to you, right? I tried to, to run away to Tarshish because he, you, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, if you're a, a Bible scholar, you should be like, oh, yeah, I know where that's found. It's an exodus, right? In the book of Exodus, uh, Moses and the Israelites had, you know, they built like a golden calf and they were messing around and God sees that and Moses is angry. So he breaks the Ten Commandments and this is the reissue. And it's literally Jonah is quoting God word for word. Okay. And God's like a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right. So Jonah here is misquoting or using God against God. Isn't this interesting? Now, this is just like a little side thing, not really about Jonah. But if you feel more righteous when you read the Bible, well, you are actually misreading the Bible. Okay? You're missing the central message. If you read the Bible and you're like, yeah, like that's, oh yeah, I feel good about myself, right? When we read the Bible correctly and with integrity, we find that the Bible humbles us, critiques us, and encourages us with God's love and grace despite the flaws that we may have. Okay? And this is something when I was looking through this, I was just like, wow, like that's actually kind of cool. Because 
But a lot of, how many times do we look at the Bible and be like, look, see, the Bible says this. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, don't break the Sabbath. Look, the Bible says so, right? And you feel good about yourself, right? No? Okay, maybe you don't feel good about yourself. Okay? But when you read the Bible and you feel more righteous when you read the Bible, I want to challenge you to rethink of the way that you look at that Bible. Because if this Bible is not humbling you, if this Bible is not encouraging you in God's love, then you're seeing the Bible in the wrong set of eyeglasses, right? Now, anyways, uh, we keep going. Uh, Verse 3, okay? So, in the end, Jonah is just, like, upset with God. And he's like, God, like, I want to die, right? Just let me die. I would rather die than live, okay? You see, Jonah is experiencing a hard problem here, right? Not wanting to live, it means he has lost something that had replaced God as his main source of joy, his reason and his love for his life, right? So you see, Jonah had a relationship with God, but now there was something else that he valued more than God. You see, what Jonah was more concerned about now was the national security of his people. Remember, this guy is like, you know, standing up for his country, right? He, he could care less about the enemy, and he only could care about his own country, right? Over the repentance and the saving of people, Jonah chose his national security, Jonah was ready to push God away and put his interests before God. So what are the things that you put before God? I want you to think about that. Okay? Now, these aren't necessarily bad things. Don't get me wrong. Okay? Things like, you know, if you want to be patriotic, like nothing wrong with being patriotic. Right? If, you, you know, if you love music, there's nothing wrong with loving music. Right? Or there's nothing wrong with music. But when you love those things, and those things cause you to exploit people around you, or to hurt people, or to lead you in ways that are contrary to the character and the nature of God, that's not, that's, that's not good. That's idolatry, right? And that's when you start putting things before God. And that's not okay. You see, when we as Christian believers care more about our own interests, and our own security, rather than the good and the salvation of those around us, even people who are considered our enemies... We end up in the same place in the downfall that Jonah finds himself in, right? And we struggle also with the scandal of grace. Okay, so some of us might wonder when we're thinking about this story, like, okay, isn't this odd? Like, Jonah had just gone through a crazy experience with God, right? He experienced God's mercy and grace in the belly of a fish. And, like, what's up with that? Like, he experienced that, but why is he, like, struggling with this? Okay, when you look at the life of Jonah, it's clear that he's missing something, right? Yes, we, he's been to the bottom of the ship, right, in the midst of chaos and storm. He's been in the belly of the large fish, vomited back onto dry land. He's experienced this anger and frustration to God now. When we look at these events, we may think, yes, Jonah hit rock bottom, okay? Many different occasions in his story, he hits rock bottom. But I think just like a construction crew trying to build a bridge over a swamp, right? The bottom isn't really the bottom for Jonah, right? When Jonah hits rock bottom, he's taking God's mercy and grace with him. We find his ver- in his quick response to God uh, that he's clearly already putting things above him, right? Jonah had things that were in his eyes more important than what God had in store. And that's no different for us, right? If we put things above God, we find ourselves in Jonah's shoes, still needing more grace and mercy than ever. And you might wonder, okay, pastor, like, good to know, right? That makes sense. So how do we get to the real rock bottom of things where we can experience God? Well, this is what I think. To reach rock bottom with God's grace is to recognize all the little ways in which we make good things into idols and ways in which we can save ourselves. 
And then to recognize that we live wholly by God's grace and mercy and nothing else. And in response to that, in response to that belief, rather than just believing it in our heads, we respond by serving God, not in order to get things from him, but rather just for him, right? For God's own sake, for who he is, for the joy of getting to know him, delighting in the Lord, and simply becoming more like God, right? So anyways, uh, we're going to just keep going. And from here on, from verse 4 to verse 11, we find God's attempt to reason with Jonah. And we're going to see a God that despite the rebellion that Jonah has towards God, that God is patient and God is willing and wanting to convey a special message to Jonah. Okay, so verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And then verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So first of all, God asks the question, are you, are you sure you can be angry? Are you, are you right to be angry? And then Jonah straight up just ignores God, right? Doesn't even respond, just walks off. Attempt one, ignored, okay? Jonah goes out, he ignores God's question, and then he finds himself making a shelter, getting a little comfortable uh, outside the city, overlooking it, okay? Verse six, uh, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Okay, interesting. Throughout this entire story, this is actually the only time you see Jonah happy, okay? At the end of the story, he's finally happy. Hooray, right? He's happy about this plant, okay? Verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant, so it withered. When the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head uh, so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And said, it would be better for me to die than live. Okay? So, this is so interesting. If you look at the entire narrative of Jonah, God starts by giving this huge storm. Right? And then a huge fish. And then a leafy, maybe medium-sized plant that gives him a little shelter. And then a tiny worm. Right? And you see this digression, right? It's comedy, right? You see this, this, this emotional roller coaster that Jonah's on. Right? From sad to happy, I want to die, to I want to live, to I want to die. Now, when I see Jonah, the first thing that I think of when I see Jonah's kind of emotional roller coaster, uh, I think of like grocery stores. So I know like nowadays there's a lot of self-checkout. So, you know, antisocial people tend to go that direction, not have to deal with people, you know, uh, the cashier or whatever. Um, but I remember as a kid at the grocery stores, uh, that was the greatest place for a kid to be. You know why? So you know when you go into the one of the lines and you look to the right, what do you have on the right? Candy. Yeah, all the candy, right? That's the greatest place to be for a kid. For her parents, it's like a nightmare, right? <laughs> no, I want the Snickers, I want the Skittles, right? And they're just complaining, complaining, they're like grabbing all these things, right? I remember as a kid, I used to do that and my parents would be like, nope, we're not buying that. Like, nope, nope, right? And I remember being so upset from having like the greatest like moment in my life in this grocery store shopping lane uh, to having the most depressing, like, no, I want candy, like, you know, sprawl out on the ground. Or maybe you see kids do that, or maybe not, okay? But uh, anyways, so that's what I think of when I see Jonah. But we see Jonah here having this like emotion, right, of wanting to die. And then the next moment, he's so happy because there's, you know, this plant that he had no relationship to. Uh, and then he wants to die all of a sudden, right? It's straight up comedy here, the author of Jonah. So verse 9, okay, we keep going. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Okay, 
And then Jonah responds, right? He says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Okay, we see another attempt of God here. Now, God repeats the question to Jonah, but this time he adds about the plan, right? Are you, is it right for you to be angry about the plan? And then we see Jonah's response. It's like, come on. Like, Jonah, like, really? <laughs> like, a plant? Okay. No matter how you look at this, no matter what perspective you try to take this at, like, there's no way you can really defend Jonah, right? There's no way. This is completely out of his logic, right? There's no, like, reason why he should be angry. God throws him this trick question, kind of a way to wake him up, right? Out of his anger and his frustration. But the reality is, his response shows that he's toned out, like, completely. He's zoned out. He has... He has no idea what's, what's going on, right? Now, it's super interesting because even with this illogical response of Jonah, okay, God is still so patient, okay? God continues to try and work with this disobedient prophet and continues to show Jonah grace and mercy. Verse 10, But the Lord said, okay, You have been concerned about this plant, and though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not be concerned about this great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than hundreds and 20,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Okay, look at this. There's three attempts of God trying to work with Jonah here. Okay, three attempts uh, and questions from God to Jonah to try to wake him up, to get to him. And to help Jonah out to realize what, what he's in, right? God's response, his final response, response gives us uh, an incredible example of God's mercy and grace. He's like, okay, given you cared for this plan, you cared about the plan that you had no association, like you had emotional support from this plan, and that's it. I'll, I'll give that to you, right? I'll give it to you. I acknowledge, yes, you were emotionally attached to this plan. Okay, great. But then he's like, all right, but then what about my concern for people? What about my concern for the people that can't even tell their right hand from their left hand? What about the animals, right? God is trying to like, like not put a pie in his face and be like, hey, like, you cared about this plant, but what about my care for people, right? Now, hopefully when you read the book of Jonah and you see this, hopefully you see what, what I'm trying to get at here. Because we find Jonah, who absolutely hates the Ninevites for everything and anything they did to his people. Jonah was the guy that gave this short five-word sermon, an attempt to have these people never experience God's mercy and grace. Jonah, the guy who hated these these crooks and, and these terrible people of the biblical times, he's being exactly the thing that he hates. Right? And God here is trying to coo and woo him back. And help him to understand and show him the very same thing. Okay? And as we talked about before in history, we know that the Ninevites, cruel, wicked, cold-hearted people of society. But then in our story, the very person that is considered a, fat, a member of God's special covenant people, a person who is a messenger, right? a prophet, one that leads, this very person we find in the story is actually the most cold-hearted, hard-hearted people not the Ninevites. Right? And it's crazy because we see here the very scandal of grace that Jonah is running into. The fact that God loves his enemies? No way, God. Like, that's, that's scandalous. Like, really? Okay. Jonah has to deal with the fact that God loves his enemies also. And that's such a hard pill for him to swallow. Now, 
The ending of Jonah is interesting. This is how the story ends. We don't know what Jonah's response was. We don't know anything else that happens after this question mark of God. And it reminds me, uh, I did a study of the book of Mark, which is my favorite gospel. Uh, and I shared it in a sermon before. Uh, but Jonah ends on a very, like, a, a cliffhanger, right? The gospel of Mark also ends in a cliffhanger. It's not no Disney ending, right? Maybe like VeggieTales have depicted it to be. Uh, but it's, it's a very just cut-off story, right? Remember the book of Mark? Uh, it ends abruptly with a man in white telling uh, the women that come to see the body of Jesus that, hey, Jesus is no longer here. He is going back to Galilee. There you will find him, right? And that's the end of the, of the Gospel of Mark. Right? But this ending, or what that ending was about in Mark, it was a call for people to continue the story. Because by going back to Galilee... It was to see the ministry that Jesus did, right? To reaching out to people, to helping the poor, for caring for the sick, for for fellowshipping with with the outcasts of society. That's what the Gospel of Mark is all about. So when you read it and you get to the end, it's like, oh, I need to repeat this cycle. I need to go back and I want to relive this. Because by reliving this, I can experience Jesus in my life today, right? That's the Gospel of Mark. So when I see the book of Jonah ending the same way, uh, the fingers are pointed to us, right? It ends this way without an answer because now God is pointing the finger at you. The author is pointing the finger at you. And it's saying, it's time for us to re-examine our lives. It's time for us to look at our lives and see how we, relive, how we live in relation to the book or the story of Jonah. So what does that look like? Right? I think that the story of Jonah isn't necessarily about God and the Ninevites, but rather it's a story about God and his people. And that's us. You are Jonah, I am Jonah, right? If you see yourself as the character that Jonah is, a person who has identified as a prophet of God, yet he finds himself in this state of spiritual apathy where he's simply fallen through this going with emotions thing. And he's become this train wreck of a mess for those around him and ultimately for himself. He, quote unquote, understands grace and mercy and accepts it as his own, but then finds himself angry with the mercy and grace when it's extended to the people that he hates? Like, come on. The book of Jonah is a mirror image in which we need to look at as well. Because we're children of God. But in that journey of being a child of God, we find ourselves getting too comfortable and falling through with going through the motions, right? Doing things that we think is best, in our own best interest. And we become, in essence, a wrecking ball to those, not not just to us, but to those around us as well. And yeah, we experience moments of, of grace and mercy, right? We come to church, like, yeah, praise God, like, God loves me, right? We see things out in the news and in our world and in our immediate families. And as we hit rock bottom, we, we say, like, yeah, like, God loves me, like, I'm broken. But then when we see those moments of grace happening for those that we despise, over the people in the community that we feel like don't deserve it, when God loves our enemies, okay? When we're like, God, like, I don't want anything to do with that, right? You can love that, yeah. You love the enemies, but I don't want to love the enemies, right? But you see, that's the beautiful thing about God's mercy and grace. Because God's mercy and grace reaches out and says, come on, Jonah, I get it, right? You're angry, but look at the bigger picture. Look at the bigger picture. Can't you see that I'm a God that truly loves people? You see, the book of Jonah is such a powerful book. And there's so much more that I wish I could just, you know, I've already gone over, but I wish I could just... There's so much I want to talk about in Jonah, right? There's so many different facets, uh, so many different perspectives. Uh, 
And so this five-part series is, is really not enough for me. But now that most of the vegetation is cleared away for you, I want to challenge you guys to relook at this short four-chapter book to really see how God is not just a God that, that you know, is a bully or just picking on Jonah, but rather you see God is a God of true mercy and grace. And that very mercy and grace is the thing that we need as well. And like the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, we find a father who is patient, who is willing to work with all our defects and our flaws, willing to wait for us to come back into his arms, that despite the stubbornness of our ways, despite our inability to recognize our extremely unreasonable logic, despite it all, God continues to woo us back into his excellent mercy and grace and his love.